What up, cultists? This is Brendan Carrion, and I just wanted to jump in before the show starts and uh, lay out a couple thoughts that I didn't get to over the course of episode 82 that you're about to listen to. So first of all, this is our last episode for this season. Uh, every year in November, we take a little break, and uh, that'll last until the 15th of January, 2020. So we hope to see you back here then. Uh, you know, things in America, they just get a little bit weird in November, and role-playing and podcasting are these kind of like group exercises that are very hard to get going in the best of times, and then with the holidays and the winter over here and everything, it becomes... Let's just say untenable. So um, it's been a good year. We're very happy with where Full Metal RPG is at. Uh, thank you for listening and contributing as always. Uh, and then I just kind of want to say, like, there's going to be some big changes. You probably have kind of been hearing them working their way in. Um, we've got these new hosts that are coming on board. And uh, the reason for that is that Adam and I, we just find ourselves kind of at spots in our lives where we're just not able to give the podcast the attention that it deserves. We're not leaving the podcast, but especially the imagination. Uh, it's my hope that you'll still be hearing my voice on every episode, uh, either in the form of me being on as a host or as a ravenous design diary. But I just don't have the um, bandwidth to go on as the host of every episode and the producer anymore. So uh, Richie Buzzkill's taken over as the producer. And um, we're kind of diffusing some of the responsibilities out into a more kind of like a council of people. Uh, so the, the vision for what Full Metal RPG is and is going to be and can be is going to be a bit more kind of horizontally distributed and a little less about like what Brendan kind of just wants and what Brendan kind of, you know, demands of people around him and sort of makes uh, when no one else is going to do it. So the the show will, will change and I think it's going to change for the better, honestly. Uh, I really appreciate... Ashley and William and Michael and the voices that they have contributed already and uh, just since Richard's been coming on the show more often and been kind of like brought into the loop as the third person I think he's del- he's dedicated a lot of amazing hours and great ideas and he's I, I feel like the work that he's put in has really next leveled the show and he has a lot of great ideas I know he has a lot more great ideas coming out for you guys next year so we're not going anywhere but things are changing so I hope you guys are with me and that you are looking forward to that in 2020 uh, without any further ado here comes the show I would like to thank Dan Noland from Patreon my friend this show is sponsored by you we appreciate your support with our Patreon. For as little as $1 a month, you can join Dan in uh, sponsoring this great content. So uh, thank you to Dan. Thank you to all of our great patrons. And now back to the final 2019 episode of Formula RPG. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Full Metal RPG. I'm your host, Brendan Carrion, and today I am joined by the one, the only, Richie fucking Buzzkill. What up, Richie Buzzkill? 
Um, I'm just back from the edge uh, at Night City, so you know, running running down the night uh, danger highway. <laughs> wow, wow! There's so much to unpack there. I love it. Uh, and we also got Michael. How what do, up, Michael? How do? Thanks for having me back on. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, you say that like you're not just like a part of it, but <laughs> you are a part of it. Sorry, forever. It's like the ship of the damned from that Watchmen comic book. Uh, and then uh, we have a special guest today. Uh, the host, the producer of Podcast Re- Reckoning, R.I.P. We got Josh Maxwell. What up? Hey, it's weird to be on a mic again. <laughs> it's like riding a bike, homie. Yeah. It's like riding a bike. Yeah. It's good to have you here, dude. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. And we miss uh we miss uh podcast wrecking vessels. We'll get to that. We'll get to that at some point. So right. uh how's everybody doing? How's the table doing today? It's kinda quiet. It's eerily quiet. You want me to rattle the, the springs? Um <laughs> 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 uh, Yeah. Uh, things are going pretty well. Like good, except for like I've been now chained to my desk by, via remote by being given a laptop. So oh, now yeah. I got extra bullshit. That to does deal happen. With. That yeah. does happen. Um, I feel like we have released a fuck ton of episodes and bonus content recently. It's been just a never-ending onslaught. I'd like to definitely thank the cultists for tuning in and listening. Uh, it's been a lot, and I understand that you are probably a little bit backlogged. Uh, we're getting ready to go on our our year end break. The end of season four is coming right up, and uh, and uh, you'll have plenty of time to catch up on all those great episodes because there's been, I mean, there's just been a tremendous amount of. Uh, I mean, the Chuck Tingle episode is probably the highlight of my year. Oh well, man, you've had a dismal year, my friend. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm, so, I'm, so, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I, to hear that. Oh wait, wait, I got married. Never mind. Oh <laughs> snaps, snaps. She doesn't listen though, right? No, she nah, nah. Um. But uh, the Chuck Tingle episode is great. I did love the Chuck Tingle episode. It was great talking to him. Um, but there's just been a lot of stuff from a lot of great content creators and from the other hosts of the show. I feel like we're really hitting our stride here. And it's a new golden era of content generation. So let's get right to it. huh? Let's talk about role-playing games, which is what this podcast remains oh, yeah. about. So uh, we've we've dispensed with the uh, hyper-capitalist, uh, what did you buy recently? That's a team member innovation from Richie Buzzkill. What up? Uh, I think I think that's a great call because I I, I mean as I said to Richard I kind of nabbed that idea from uh, Warhammer podcast I listened to and like Warhammer podcast I always love listening to what people bought like oh what toys did you buy blah, blah. you know I love that shit but uh, it works better for Warhammer because in Warhammer you're just buying models constantly constantly <laughs> stacking mm-hmm. them up in mm-hmm. a closet but when you are doing that with role playing games and you can and I have. It doesn't feel the same. It feel it ends up feeling kind of crummy at a certain point, and Stressful. I think that we'll kind of discuss yeah. that. We'll kind of unpack that here in just a little a little bit. So Richard had the idea of saying like, "Well, what is it that uh, we're we're focusing on gaming wise? What is it that's kind of like piquing our interests?" And uh, for me, what's been piquing my interest lately is uh, Black Void by uh, Christopher Seffelson. Uh fuck, man! I finally got into my copy of Black Void, and uh, it is. The shit. Do you guys have Black Void? It's awesome. I don't. I, don't. I do. Can't tell me about oh it. my god. So, mm-hmm. uh, 
we were very fortunate to meet Christopher kind of early in his sort of like game design journey on this one. And we talked back and forth on Instagram. And I think that we had him on when he was kicking this game. And I had seen some of the art for it and we had talked about it. And I had this kind of idea like it was going to be maybe like a, one of those little digest sized OSR games. Yeah, you were wrong. I was yeah, so, wrong. so wrong. I was so wrong. <laughs> and it took, it took a while to come out. And I was like, well, I don't understand why it's taking so long for a little digest sized OSR game to come out. It is a full-sized, full-color, probably 350, 400-page long. It's not quite the size of the Hero System character creation book, but it's pretty close. Yeah, it's getting there. I think on Mythbusters, they'd use it to stop bullets. (laughs) It It is lush. It is full color. It is a complete system and a complete campaign setting. So uh, it takes place uh, in this uh, kind of Planescape-esque kind of city. It's very similar to like Sigil. It's called Lynn, and it's like kind of a uh, um, interdimensional, like kind of like way city where like a lot of uh, strange creatures have like built built this society and humans having suffered through this like uh, interdimensional cataclysm, have kind of like washed up on the shore of Lynn and have kind of like integrated themselves into its society at the sort of at the bottom rungs of the caste system, which is like Baroque and full of all of these like like super strange uh, creatures that are, I guess like some of them are kind of chthonic, but really they're just more sort of like phantasmagorical. They're very like dreamlike and and, and strange and organic looking and, and very well designed. They're not cheesy or lame the book kind of it sort of alludes to this larger cosmology that that lynn sort of is at, at the axis center of but it doesn't really get into that quite as much as it just gets into deep deep kind of uh explanations of lynn the city and its various districts and the peoples and and, and political structures that compose it and you could with this core book available from uh modifius because he got modifius distribution well. man that was after doing an independent kickstarter uh you could just run this game for fucking years it's 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 awesome and i mean now here's here's my caveat my caveat is i haven't read the system comprehensively uh i have mostly just been immersing myself in like the amazing book and how what like a what a, what an amazing kind of like imaginative conversation starter it is so i'm not sure about the system yet but i will be doing a full read through of the book so i can review it on the show um if you are a fan of planescape or if you're a, pl- a fan of talus lanta I highly, highly, highly recommend at the very least just like checking out Black Void. I hear, I hear you haven't read through the part yet, but it is, are you feeling like this is more on the story game side or more on the trad side? Well, I mean, it's clearly written as a trad game. It's super thick. It has uh, the character creation system is very long and it's full of uh, point buys for traits. And then each trait has a very specific use. So it's going to be, I think that, Christopher wants it to be a game that you tell a lot of stories with, but I think there's going to be a very, very technical aspect to it. Now, it doesn't it doesn't have like a bunch of grid maps and like very, very detailed conflict resolution systems, as far as I can tell. But uh, it does have just tons and tons of traits that are going to um, kind of adjudicate like very small uh, interactions that your character has with the environment, which which makes it a little bit more tratty. And it's, it's a D12 system. 
Yes. So that'll be real interesting. I kind of skimmed through because uh, I also I backed on Kickstarter, so I I, I skimmed through some of the the, the uh, store system stuff, and it it does lean towards the traditional style, but it does like you're saying leave that leave some room. It, not like there's not combat grids, which is like to me that's where it goes over the line from. Eh, it's kind of traditional to traditional is yeah. when you get into the. The grid settings. Like, like, I don't think he wants us to be telling stories of like clearing out tunnels, like five by five per foot square tunnels with torches and swords and hunting rats to get experience to level up or anything like that. I don't think he wants, there's not like, doesn't look like there's very specific mechanics for like creating guilds or territories or anything, but it does just look like. If you want to, like, have a character with wings and fly, there are going to be, like, oh, there's, like, specific shit about, like, how far you can fly and how fast. And you're going to have to make rolls for that kind of thing, so. All right, so if D&D is a 1 and Fiasco is a 10, where does this fall, you think? Uh, probably somewhere in the middle, I'm thinking. 4-5. Right. 4-5. Four, five. Four, yeah. Five. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what's everybody else got? What's everybody else been kind of kind of hyped on lately? So. I uh, I cruised through my shelf and uh, I found this game I haven't played in a long time, but it's the Extraordinary Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Did they just reissue this recently? Uh, this is the 2008 reissue, so ten years ago, eleven years ago. I think there's another one out though. There like might the hardcover there, one. There might be, uh, but it's basically a role playing drinking game. Like, ah. so you're you're like telling you're trying you're telling a story, and then someone has to try and top the story you're telling. But by their character doing something outrageous. So like Baron Munchausen, you know, like he's he's gonna be do it. He's done something crazy. You're you're trying to top them, and then you're bu- basically buying drinks if you fail. <laughs> so, but it's written in this kind of first person, like old timey first person narrative kind of way. So it's it's more like a written more like a f- first person diary novel than a uh, instruction book because I think kind of uh, it would be like a one page game I think if you actually wrote the rules out but this oh interesting interesting so, so what's the rest of it it's it's just like stories uh, or it's kind of like they to tell you how to create a character which is pretty much write uh, an honorific and a name on a piece of paper it takes them like three pages to like uh, well if you can't read summon a priest uh, it, and it's written okay. very much in like the eight seventeen eighteen hundred style writing. So it's kind of more for your reading enjoyment than for your playing enjoyment in a certain way. In a certain way, yes. And I mean, it's got some lovely, uh, you know, weird uh, drawings here. Some Victorian style. So, so, but it's it's just I I played it a long time ago, and uh, apparently it's a, it's nineteen ninety eight was when it was first uh, released, and then. It had got an any uh, nominated for an Eddie in two thousand nine, so that's how quickly things work with a re release. And <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, "Oh yeah, I remember this game. This game was awesome." So did you play it? I did play it. Yeah. And how how'd you find it? It's it's fun. It's just like it's a great like as as someone that was what, a lot more of an introvert back then. Like it was definitely a, an easier way to like sit around and have you know interactions with a bit of a structure around it to like loosen up while you're having a beverage with some people and and um how long does it take to play uh as long or as short as you want realistically you could, really yeah you could you could just uh you could have like one round like i tell a story then mike tells a story then josh tells a story then you tell a story and then we you know we can keep going like the stories get crazier as you keep going or we could just be like oh that was fun and 
So you, did, you did say they were buying buying a drink? Is that yeah, right? the recommended, <laughs> yes, the, the recommended uh, location is at the bar. Okay. Ooh. And is it really accessible to people who've never played before? Like you got a friend who's never done any role playing before? As, as I would say a, your friend that was in drama class or okay. his, history class or but probably both, you know, your, your friends that uh, like that sort of like can spin a yarn, but maybe aren't storytellers. Like if somebody doesn't know how to actually like, you know, tell somebody about something like I went to the moon one time and I met the empress of the moon and she served me a fantastic wine. And, you know, somebody that's not able to come up with the ideas off the top of their head. It is very much a role-playing game because you're playing your, your character is this crazy baron, baron or a duke, mm. duke, duchess, uh, then you then you play that character. You you say these are my stories. I'm telling you my story about going to the moon or mm-hmm. about uh, going to the the center of the earth or whatever you want to come up with. I mean, isn't it for somebody? Because it, it may sound like you were saying that if you're not naturally loquacious, then it's a good game for you. But it seems like if you are naturally loquacious, it's a good game for you. It, it seems like it's a kind of the kind of thing where like people who it sounds like a GM's game. Like you get like four GMs around a table and they would all just be like busting each other's chops playing this game. Yes, I, I think you're exactly right. Somebody, somebody that that. Maybe have never actually GM. This might be a good, you know, but you think they have what it takes, like you know, that you could say, "Hey, we're all going to spend stories together. We're not, we're not trying to like tell everybody what this five by five room looks like. We're, <laughs> we're like, uh, we're, we we need to like talk about the uh, Princess of Mars or the, the the Prince of Mars and stuff like that. So it, it's it's probably one of those books that's probably been read more than it's actually ever been played, but I yeah. have I have seen it offered at Gen Con, which is kind of an interesting. Well, yeah, but you see everything offered at Gen Con. I mean, there's probably like two games in the world that don't get offered at Gen Con, and we both know what those games are. Um, <laughs> <laughs> how much does this run? Um, I think it was like 15 when I picked it up. 15. Yeah, but the, that was that was a while ago. Yeah, I'm <laughs> so. I'm sure it's more now cuz I think cuz I think they have re-released it in hardcover with a uh like a full col- full cover full color cover. <laughs> and uh but this is nice. I like this. Yeah. I like so. this. It sounds fun. I, I think they've talked about it on the Gauntlet a little bit and I've, I've heard yes. them talk about it on the Gauntlet. It always sounds it always sounds fun on Gauntlet. But everything on the Gauntlet sounds fun, am I right? Yeah. It's kind of mostly. It's, it's kind of the joy of that show is they tend to make everything sound like a good time. So, that that's yeah, that's what it kind of Great Munchausen. What about you, Michael? What you got? What you got for the for the listeners? What's tantalizing? Well, you, you know last time I talked about my Lank Marset come in, so I'm finishing up the last book of the of the writer's series, just in the my total immersion, to get the feel for the campaign before I do more than just browse. Like I said, I bought the entire line of Lankmar and all the adventure modules. So on the last book, uh, it's it's been really rewarding. Learned about the, the world itself is I would describe low magic. There's not a lot of L. Well, there's no elves and dwarves. <laughs> There's less than not a lot. There's zero. <laughs> there's no no non-human sentience. Well, there's there's different races, and so one of the one of the races would be these ghouls, but they're not the traditional ghouls like you leap to mind. These are like transparent, fleshed, human-shaped, uh, uh, sentient beings who will dabble in a bit of cannibalism and such, but they. Uh, if you just read them as a monster stat in a book, you're kind of like, well, I've I've got a monster here. But in the in the author's world, he's portrayed them as like roving bands of nomads that sweep out of the 
out of the desert and as raiders and they'll haul people off. And uh, one of the main characters in the story actually has a romantic encounter with one of the females. And so it's a, yeah, it's a, yeah. I don't know if I can see like your brain. I don't know if that's going to be good for me. If it's yeah. transparent flesh, how, how, what can you see? Bones. You can see the bones. And they're, you can they're see the skeleton. It's going to be yeah. weird. And is there like a sort of a, like a gelatinous fleshy bits around that you can kind of see the edges of? A little bit, yeah. It's like uh, you could see it when you're up close and they're holding still. You can see the shape, but you can imagine the terror of them riding out of the the desert and raiding your camp. So the uh, do they wear clothes? No. Huh. The uh, <laughs> I, I like different. Uh, a lot of these were written in the in the '60s and '70s and earlier, and so they the, some of the the fashions of that time show through in the. Oh. Um, Bell bottoms, the bell bottoms. Yes, I mean it's written. It's written during during the time where pulp was very popular. Yeah. So I mean that makes sense. So I give you another another race. There's this race of uh, almost like immortals that live on top of this mountain, and they and these are truly invisible. And the heroes come across them, and they uh, they dab bits of makeup on themselves to reveal their their features. So it's just different little things like that might not come through in in a reading of the game that just give would give the GM ideas like. So got all these interesting locations, all these interesting creatures. How can I have them interact with the the players in a, a, in a way maybe they hadn't come across before? Oh, that sounds really interesting. So one of the ghoul characters was uh, in love with one of the heroes, but for her it was she it was like a, a sexual fe- fetish. She liked to be with freaks. So <laughs> oh, and, and she considers him to be this like really abhorrent looking yes. dude because you can't see the skeleton or anything. Exactly, and part of their deal is they like to because when they consume the flesh of the others, it uh, becomes trans- it becomes translucent itself as it passes through their system, and so they see them as purifying the the uh, the humans. But he he gets called away in a in a in a rush, and she's like, "Oh, go! You're just gonna leave me here?" And he says, "Yeah, well, it's probably for the best because I might have got bored of you pretty quickly, and, and instead of kissing you on the neck, I might have ripped it out and ate you." <laughs> so he, he wasn't sure if she was just being <laughs> jealous or being serious, but just some nice interactions. I as a GM, I can see well how do I how to make this world have the flavor that the the authors originally intended, rather than these cold stats that I see on the. Monster manuals. Well, do they uh, in the Lankmar actual books that for from uh, Goodman are they are they good at giving you some of those descriptions? Like I know they tend to be good at some of that stuff, but it sounds like you're just seeing like cold stats and not a lot of fluff around that. Is that? I, I need to read more. See how how much they bring. Like I said, I I haven't been able to read the the massive materials that they put out for it. Okay, I got a lot of source book, a lot of city uh, the city book and uh, judges and secrets and things like that. So. It might be in there, and I just haven't got to it yet. Sick, sick. What about you, man? What you got? What's 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 uh, been on your mind with the I, uh, uh, with the fads? I am uh, working on converting Curse of Strahd to a 1980s spy thriller. Wow. Are you using uh, Nice Black Agents? No, not. I have it. Not a huge fan of it. Ultimately, uh, I was going to convert it to Delta Green, but I'm probably going to go to one of my go-to's. Will probably it'll probably be uh, an Enwad Mortals game. Ultimately, wow, interesting. I'm kind of throwing out the whole vampire shtick as like the real meat of what's going on. It'll be more cathonic than that. Take some beats from like Darkest Dungeons or something like that. Throw some characters in there that are 
off to get something in the land of whatever I end up calling it in the real world and get caught up in Curse of Strahd. So you're really just taking the Curse of Strahd module and you're kind of looking at the skeleton and yeah. kind of like just completely re, not just reskinning it, you're like refleshing yeah, the whole thing. I'll keep all the beats that are there, uh, but all the flavor around it is going to be changed up a bit. It's wow. going to be more, going to be more Cthulhu and less uh, Ravenloft. Why is that? Is that curiosity? What's what? What inspired that? Because I I prefer that kind of horror. Mm. I, I like the more indescribable horror than the. I want to suck your blood, you know? Um, whenever I play vampires, usually I'm playing the, the vampire, right? Right, right. Because of all the, all the World of Darkness stuff I do. But um, when I'm throwing horror at players, it makes it, I don't know, makes it more enjoyable for me when it's, you know, Lovecraftian style mythos kind of stuff. Sure. So. I mean, the, the, the realm itself is very chthonic because it is, is a living realm. Like, right. it, it does, it actually wants things. So I think that, it, that's a great place to start with. Well, that's exactly where I'm starting, where, where the, the, the deep secret at the end will be like, the realm is the thing, right? Right. So that'll be the indescribable horror that they face at the end. Hopefully, none of them are going to, the people that are going to play in it will be listening to this. But, I was going to say, I think, I think <laughs> no one gave it away. Show. No it, it'll be so different by the time you get there, anyways. Like, right. So, um, you said 1980s spy. Yeah. So and there's been like multiple eras of spy thrillers since then, mm-hmm. but you're choosing to kind of bypass those and land specifically on the flavors and motifs of the 1980s spy thriller. First of all, why? Horror is more effective when you don't have cell phones or the internet. Fair. That is That's fair. That's the number one driver right okay. there. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then how do you, how do you want to bring that to the table? Like where are people going to see, how are they going to feel the 1980s-ness of it? I'm not totally sure yet, right? It'll be a lot of it will be the setup, how I describe things, um, you know, the when they're gearing up, who they're talking to, how the organizations are going to be part of work. Because I'm going to I'm probably going to approach from a very Delta Green kind of aspect where people get pulled in from multiple agencies. So some of these guys might be working with Contras as part of the CAA. Some of these guys may have just gotten back from Granada um, with the military, that kind of stuff. So. I'll be using real history to kind of frame what's going on. And then the rest will be just be description. Like there's no end of uh, media out there that I can use to get kind of the flavor of Eastern Europe during that time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'll be leaning on that pretty heavily. Are you going to use Barovia? Is Barovia going to be behind the Iron Curtain? Something like that. I don't know that I will use Barovia itself. I'll probably I'll probably do some research and get some real world places to replace mm-hmm. the setting. Because that, you know, I don't like to just make up place as whole cloth and insert them into the world it's not really my jam i think it's going to feel real 80s when you have to uh, reach in when they have to players have to reach in their pocket to get some coins for the payphone man right like long distance yeah. call yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when they say they want a phone and it's a brick right <laughs> or or the pile of cocaine on the table sure right yeah richard you, know, you were really killing it in the 80s dog can't have a, a game at the maxwell <laughs> yeah. house without a pile of cocaine on the table you know <laughs> We're all like, hey, guys, remember the 80s? Like, <laughs> you used to have to use a payphone. And Richard's like, also, there was Coke. <laughs> so much mad Coke, bro. I'll be like, all right, you bring the Doritos, you bring the Pepsi, you bring the eight balls. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, great. Well, it sounds like we're all up to fun, fun, interesting, cool things. Um, who's been playing games? Who's been playing games? Have you been playing games? I got to run my uh, Cyberpunk Red. Uh, it's going to be a two shot, but I, it's a two shot, huh? Yeah. So we, we got through uh character, it, 
they're pre-generated characters, but we got through the character creation where I, I had to, you know, add a little bit of my, like, how do you actually make a living? Cause it's, it's not covered in the jumpstart, but it's kind of in the classic 2020 setting. So, right. And, uh, they, it's the apartment, uh, module inside of the jumpstart is what I kind of working around so the, the apartment module inside of the jumpstart i don't so, have the jumpstart so right. explain to me what, what you mean i don't so, know what you mean so it's it's a little uh, a little uh, adventure in the jumpstart world book and it's the most fleshed out they've got a cu- couple uh, of scream sheets uh kind of to start you off on some other adventures but this is the one where it says okay here's the premise Here's the characters that live in the apartment. Uh, all all the characters live on one floor of the apartment building. All the PCs. Interesting. And so, then something happens. So then that then some corporation has their eyes on the building. So that that's where we're at. Is they finally figured that out. And next game will be the consequences of the corporation having their eyes on this building interesting that sounds fun what's the what's the vibe like how is it how's it running it's it's running really well the uh the system they've streamlined uh, a good bit of the system i mean there's still some pluses and minuses a little finicky but instead of being like i gotta flip through I mean, they went from Friday Night Firefight, which is a better name than Thursday Night Throwdown. <laughs> We're just going to keep saying that because that's what. Uh, but oh yeah, but it's it's basically been summed up on like three pieces of paper. So they've got everything you need to know to ru- run it on big. It's big, char- uh, chunky, easy to read stuff, not like little tiny like microfiche. And uh, it it. Ran really quickly. We had a, a firefight with uh, three of the player characters versus two NPCs, and it lasted about three rounds, which was about nine seconds in game. So, how many seconds out of game? I want to say it was probably like t- maybe 15, 20 minutes. Oh, it ain't bad. Yeah, it was. It, it, it was had very, like very five quick. players, right? Right. So uh, two players can't sit in there for fifteen minutes doing nothing. Uh, four players. Oh, uh, okay. And then one of them joined like the second round. So uh, okay. the, there was only one person sitting uh were they watching playing the decker. They were playing the uh fixer. Ah, okay. The, the fixer owned the building. So Now I heard that they fixed decking in this or They did. The net that. net running. Yeah, net running. It right. is uh no longer its own dungeon onto itself where you get six turns per turn everyone else runs. They have to they have to get, be on site because everybody learned everything had to be air gapped. So, and the net doesn't really exist as it exists today. So you can't just remote in. And, uh, you basically have to deal with meat space and cyberspace at the same time. They did that in the most recent iterations of Shadowrun also, where they're like, oh, yeah, people aren't just having their, like, most important systems online anymore. You got to do, like, physical jack-ins, like, at the location, which means that the the decker has to go with the team and, like, get all the way in there in order to jack-in physically um, in order to create some more, like, tension and stuff because, like, the the decker being in a van, you know, three miles away was getting pretty boring. It's great. You get to recreate that artwork on the old book where the guy's got the keyboard that's kind of attached to his arm and yeah. he's actually plugged into stuff. Nice. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, nobody yeah, was pl- he is. nobody was playing the Netrunner. So I didn't have to interface with that, but it was uh it was it was fun. Uh they had a lot of fun. I kind of fleshed out the neighborhood a little bit by asking them questions about what they did for a living and one the fixer also ran a nightclub, so uh they had a a, a androgynous uh, they them bartender named Peaches. So uh it was it was really cool to like kind of talk about like there's a fixer that's his name is Rex in the book and that's all you know in the book. And I, I made him a, a lizard conversion. So he's 
he's like converting to be a lizard. So that's why they call him Rex. And he's the one that keeps the neighborhood safe. So you pay him everything, all the money. <laughs> so, um, you can kind of run the game from the from the box, right? You oh yeah, yeah, for like, sure. Like you can make your can you make your own characters? You kind of stuck with the pregens. Um, you're kind of stuck with the pregens right away, but realistically, they're pretty good starting characters. And you, there's there's like uh, stat blocks, so like you can pick. There's six different stat lines. You can pick one of them, or you can roll for it, or you can roll a d6 and on each line and pick you know get the number from that. So it's you could easily do a point by system. You could just pull the old point by system out. It's the same stats. It's the same stat plus skill plus a D10. That's your that's your role, and it's pretty close. I mean, it's not system complete, but it's as close as I would need for now. And I, I feel like I might stretch out the next part of it a little yeah. bit to make to make it a full session. Yeah, and, and do the thing. Do the thing, and then. Uh, then I, you know, I feel like I might want to just keep going, but I yeah. don't know. I don't know. We'll yeah. see. No, well, let us know. Let us know, man. You know, interestingly, I've been doing a little bit of cyberpunk role playing myself. Uh, I mean, I I could sit here and tell you guys like a, some humorous anecdotes about how I failed to run anything for Gauntlet Con about how I was scheduled for two games and I ended up running zero games Ooh. because of uh, fucking my inability to work well with computers and apparently with timetables. So uh, I, oh. I, got, I, got a, I, got a, I got an email at 11 a.m. from Richard Ruane, who was running the con, and he goes, hey, so did your game go off? And I was like, well, I've contacted all my players and uh, we're going to start playing in two hours when it's scheduled to go off. And he's like... Well, it's actually scheduled to go off now. So, do you think you could look it on now? And I'm like, no, I don't think I could do that. <laughs> He's like, well, I will email your players and we'll try and schedule it for one when you think you're going to run it. And so, uh, in the intervening two hours, I lost essentially all my players except for a good homie from the um, Instagram, uh, Crackling Hex Wraith. I got to sit down with a Crackling Hex, Cackling Hex Wraith from instagram he's actually in ireland we had a nice conversation for about half an hour and then we called it but we did not actually get to play any ravenous at gauntlet con because (laughs) oh well anyway um so what have i actually been doing because i haven't run ravenous in the real world shit's been too fucking weird in the real world for getting a game in but i did get a uh, character creation for a Shadowrun second edition game that i'm running for some of my dungeon punks friends um, online, doing right now. I'm running that online. No, you figured it out. Oh, yeah, <laughs> so, oh my god, it's so hard. It's so hard. Like you think, like you're like you're like like oh, I'm I'm so sick of running at the tabletop. Everybody's like so hard. Oh, you gotta balance all these schedules. You know, no, no, everybody's like calling out every week, and I'll just run online. That'll be easier. Cause then everybody, you know, and then you're sitting there and you're like fussing around trying to get all the video screens up, and then there's like one camera's on, but you can't hear anything, and you see him, like fussing around and like and then somebody drops off and then <laughs> comes back on and it's just like oh my god it's just as difficult and then uh there's these whole other aspects of role playing that like I haven't really delved into because I've never really done online role playing but like Michael's gamed with me and he knows how much I get into like like body movements and kind of like tones yeah. of voice and playing with like the music that I that I present and I'm not able to do any of that shit because I'm just gonna be like a floating head in a little box and that <laughs> so what I find and and this is the my number one complaint about doing stuff on roll twenty or whatever is that I miss out on that 
that human body language aspect of the game, right? Either people aren't using their cameras uh, and and doing yeah, fuck that. doing role playing with voice only has never ever worked for me. Um, I tried it once; it was it was god awful. But even with cameras, a lot of times, I feel like all those mannerisms get pulled out when people are hanging with their friends and when they're in their you know their office at home in front of their computer. They're just sitting there, like I'm sitting here right now, right? And it, you lose so much, in my opinion. Yeah, I I was really feeling that just during the character creation because it it felt it felt so different than a usual character creation. And in subsequent like episodes of the show next year, I'll probably come on and talk to you about the success or failure of the campaign and what we've been doing story wise. But uh. Oh man, I was just I was feeling it. I was like, wow, this is just going to require cultivating a whole other skill set. And then when you like listen to so many podcasts, or just, that's just how people play now. You know, people playing online—that's what they're kind of used to. That maybe how they got into it. Like to us, it almost feels like like having one hand tied behind your back, or like I don't know, going in blindfolded or something. But to them, that's just how it is. That's just role playing. That's what the experience of role playing is. So I mean, I guess no such thing as telling people what fun is or whatever. It's just an opportunity to learn. So an opportunity to learn new things, new skill sets, and like hopefully, man, hopefully I'll be able to run this Shadowrun game well uh, with what, just being a little floating head. What side are you using? What 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 kind of tools are you using? Well, I mean, because I don't care about like dice rollers and that kind of crap. So we're just using. Uh, we were okay. Because because we were having problems with the podcast using Discord, so I was like, let's just use Google Hangouts. Because I was like, that'll be so easy. We all have Gmails, and then it turned out to be a fucking nightmare. It was just like <laughs> such a pain in the ass, and everybody on at the same time. So then they're like, well, let's go back to Discord. So maybe we're gonna try Discord for the next one. We are using a Discord as a place to like kind of conglomerate all the character sheets and to uh, do like all the little writings and stuff that kind of lend a lot of zest to Shadowrun. And I will say the the Dungeon Punks cats. They fucking love Shadowrun. They love their Shadowrun. And they, like, they'll just write shit about Shadowrun and they'll just send it to me. Like, here's a cool backstory for my character. Here's a gun battle my character was in. I'll just, they'll just write it. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the story. They get no experience points or anything. They just love to create and they love to immerse themselves in Shadowrun. So we need to have a place to warehouse all of that creativity. We'll use Discord for that. I mean, I think Discord is, is pretty good for. I mean, for like that ongoing, like everybody's like typing up new stories and stuff. But I still think Roll20 is the place to do things because especially for Shadowrun where you're going to be doing map battles almost invariably, right? Yeah, yeah, I probably should take that into consideration. So that's – and it also has the integrated video and audio yeah. into it. And actually, we used to, because I play a lot with my kind of high school, college friends. Every We used to play every couple of weeks on like Saturday or whatever online. And we didn't like the audio video stuff on Roll20. But last time I played with DM Zemo for uh, Burning Wheel, we did that with all of us having video on there as we're floating above the, the kind of map. Mm-hmm. So it worked pretty well. I, I've kind of got used to the, it, you're, I, I really agree that I prefer to have video. I've definitely done it with just audio. I think video adds something, but I don't think it's, you, you, you have to, if you're like, if you have somebody you know on the other side, it's not so bad. But if you are just like new people meeting for the first time and you're just doing audio, 
I don't think it really works well, very well. Yeah, I, 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 want, I want to put a caveat on there because the guy who ran the game that I think I described as god-awful listens to the show, and I don't want him to think <laughs> that I thought his game was god-awful. It wasn't. It was actually a very good Shadowrun game. The, what was what was problematic for me was that there were times when we didn't know if somebody was having communication issues because we would say, oh, hey, what, what's going on with your character? And then just be silent. They, dro- they might have dropped off. And it's like, well, did, they, did their mic drop off? Are they out of the room? Are they ignoring us because something else is going on? What's happening? And then we'd all be sitting there. It was very awkward. Then there was another guy who never muted anything. And so literally you could oh, like no. hear his door opening and closing. And it sounded like he lived in some kind of haunted house. It was all full of like groans and squeaks. It was so I was just like, I, I felt like the video added something. Like I like I like I need the video. I gotta have that video. I have a real hard time getting immersed because I'm always dinking around with the computer, right? It adds another level mm-hmm. of meta to whatever I'm doing. It's another distraction, and it just doesn't work for me. Right? I can never really get into it. I'm a Luddite when it comes to role-playing. What can I say? Man, yeah. so am I. No, I'm, I'm cringing a little bit. I wonder if I'm going to be able to run this game. Anyway, to be continued, what have you guys yes. been up to? You guys, I feel like I'm soaking up a lot of time here. What have you guys into? Well, we, I had a couple of uh, weeks off from my regularly scheduled game and had... Uh, Keith and Megan came over on Friday night, and we played some Gloomhaven. First time then played it, and I was a little rusty on it. That was a lot of fun. I still haven't got through the whole the whole campaign, but it was a good start. A lot of fun. Sick, sick. Uh, I'm painting up some Warhammer stuff. That's consuming a lot of my time. I was working on a, a Leviathan Dreadnought before I came over here. So Nice. I love it. I love to hear it. I love to hear it. So, uh, what, what, Richard, do you think we should go to a little break right now? Yeah, I think so. Cool. Welcome back, Josh. I hear you have a tale for us. <laughs> All right, let's 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 do it again. All right, as um, I might have been telling you, uh, my brother-in-law died a few weeks ago, like three weeks ago. That. Yeah, right. we're really sorry to hear that, man. That is um, uh, our condolences. I mean, he was real sick, had kidney issues. Um, it wasn't totally unexpected. But when something like that happens, when especially when it's somebody younger than you, because I'm 41, it makes you. I don't know. Look at life. So I look at all my hobby stuff. I, you know, I've got I've got all the stuff I spend my hobby time on. Video games. Freaking Destiny Two takes up a ridiculous amount of my time. Um, Role playing and miniatures. All right. Uh, I have got a huge pile of unpainted miniatures and like so many rule sets that I've never played for miniatures. Yeah. Miniatures rule yeah. sets. Yeah. Oh yeah, ton of them. Like they're <laughs> everywhere in my house. The same thing with my role playing stuff. So. I kind of went into this midlife crisis mode where I just started to get rid of stuff that I wasn't going to use. Um, I got rid of the majority of my pile of shame on my miniatures, you know, at least a thousand dollars worth. At least that's what I got out of it. I'm sure it was much more than a thousand dollars because I was, it was fire sale. I think I had a thousand dollars just in Malifaux stuff that I sold for like 300 bucks. So this wow. is new wow. in box or painted miniatures? It was all new in box. Wow. There was some painted stuff, there was a little bit of painted stuff. Um, that I sold for more of a premium, thankfully, but almost all of it was new in box. Like I had, I don't know, like everything for infinity for the combined army, <laughs> yeah. all in box. Oh my God. All gone. Wow. All right, got rid wow. of all of it. Okay. And then I looked at my role playing stuff and I thought to myself, let's look at these, please look at all these games on my shelf. Um, I have a page of, of, that I wrote here of just the games that are on my shelf. This doesn't have say anything about the hundreds of books I have electronically right on my electronic mm-hmm. bookshelf so these are the ones that are left these are the ones i haven't done anything my role-playing games oh, right i couldn't i couldn't okay. just i couldn't 
Oh, I thought about it, yeah, yeah. but I couldn't do it. Um, but the thought came to me that when I game, there are primarily two games I play. All right. New World of Darkness and Dungeons and Dragons 5th Edition. That's pretty much all I play. But I own <laughs> 200, 300 games. Yeah. And so I'm thinking to myself, looking at all of this, 41 years old, Maxwell men rarely live much past 65. Am I? Do I even have enough time left before I kick over to go through this pile, right? And so what does that mean for buying more games, supporting things on Kickstarter, supporting new things being created, if I'm never going to get use out of any of it, right? I actually posed that question to some of the Facebook groups I'm part of, and it was somewhat surprising that there are a lot of people that <laughs> are of similar age that have the same thoughts. And you know, the prevailing wisdom has been, all right, keep the stuff that's got some interest to you that you can port into other stuff, but just focus on one or two systems and just be happy that that is what you have. And I don't know if I can do that, right? Right. Well, like, you know, I mean, there's so much stuff on Kickstarter right now that I could just <laughs> drop money on today. Today. Right? Uh, I just don't I just don't know. Like, I've got some Kickstarter darlings on here like Red Markets. Book is huge. I paid I spend a lot of money on getting that <laughs> yeah, book. That was one of Adam's finds, wasn't yeah, it? Adam's yeah. really excited about that. I don't think I'm ever going to play it. It looked pretty on my shelf. Do I even bother reading through it cuz it's real dense, right? Why do I want to learn all about that that system that helps you um, demonstrate economic horror, right? <laughs> Super niche, uh, if I'm never going to do anything with it, right? I, I don't know. I don't know. So the question then is, the question is, is can we as gamers be happy just sticking with a system or two? Because I could just run New World of Darkness for the rest of my life and be fine, right? I know that system I've played hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of. I could do whatever I want in it. But... You know, what do I do with some of this other stuff? Like, I've got a full set of the old Dystopia Rising stuff. I've got everything for Shadows of Estrin. I've got nearly everything for Hero System. Um, wow. I've got everything that exists for Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. Have you ever run Shadows of Estrin? No. Mm -mm. You have any plan to? I don't know. Wow. I don't know. Wow. I don't know. Yeah, that's tough. I've read through it. It's a groovy system. I like the, the low fantasy horror kind of thing it's got going, but I don't know if I'll ever do it. And if I do it, why not just do it in New World of Darkness since I already know the system and it's <laughs> yeah. an easy sell to my group. Yeah, right? it's like you were just talking about your Ravenloft game and you're like... You're taking fifth edition game, which you've already said is one of your top two games. You're porting it over to. It's not one of my top two games. Well, you it's you one of the two games that I play a lot. Well, there's yeah, a distinction yeah, there. Yeah. I don't even really like it. I only play it because that's <laughs> what gets played around. <laughs> well, a top two games played. Yeah, let's say. sure. But no, I mean, I yeah, hashtag heavy relation on that. Well, why even spend the time playing a game you don't really dig? Oh man, there's a lot to unpack there. There's a lot going on. What's hey, up? Before you, uh, you asked a question there, but before you do that, I was thinking there's there's another aspect. I don't know if this affects everybody the same way, but I have a similar situation where I have this section of my shelves and they're all these role-playing games that are, I'm excited about each and every one of them. And then as I stare at them, I don't get joy from them. I get stress because it's like, okay, I want to pull one of these off, but if I'm pulling this one off, I don't have time to pull that one off. So I just sit there and I look at it, and instead of getting joy, I get stress. So yeah. he's like, can we just play one? I could probably just play one game. That's all I had. But I have more than one, so you know, what do I do with this this angst I feel when I look at my, my joy on the shelf there? Well, 
I mean, I I think because this is I've been going to do something similar for a couple of years now, where like I I hit a point of critical mass where I was just like, let's be honest, I'm not going to run all these games before I die. Just like oh, you, just like you've you, got yeah. a cycle on the air of binge and purge. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, 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 literally, I was listening to the first episode, and that's exactly what you were talking. Was about. Was it really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You bought all my brother's Stormbringer stuff. You still have it? Of course, I'm never going to let that go. <laughs> no, he he asked me the same thing at RenCon. He's like, yeah, are you selling that Elric stuff? And I was like, I will never sell that Elric. Elder stuff like they need to bury me with that crap i love it anyway um i'm never gonna get through all of this stuff so maybe i should get rid of some of it and i've actually cut back on the kickstarters that i'm doing and the stuff that i'm buying because i love to go to cons i love to buy new games and i cut cut way 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 back but what i did what i have done is kind of delineated knowing that i'm the kind of person that likes to run long campaigns and if you listen to the gauntlet a lot like those guys consider a long campaign to be anything over three sessions like they, they consider like 10 sessions to be like pretty like pretty out there man 12 sessions like you're 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 in some crazy territory but to me like 10 12 session like that's an adventure that's not a campaign like a campaign is made up of like multiple 10 to 12 session arcs yes they're squished together right and so you can run games like that for years which is my preferable style so i don't run like the gauntlet guys where like like they could look at my bookcase and be like oh well we could get through this in a couple months you know what i'm saying i can't i can't do that so i've broken down my games into two categories which is games i am going to run and games that I own just to look at and to be and to have there and to ha- touch the books and to feel like they're beautiful. You know what I'm saying? But I don't really, I don't really kid myself. I don't think I'm ever actually gonna run. You know what I'm saying? Yes. I just, I just have them to have them. Does that make sense? Does that cause you stress when you look at it and realize uh, I have this, but is it giving me any joy? Or is it giving me stress? Or? Well, like I have, I kind of, when I moved a couple years ago, I kind of reorganized my shelf into kind of genres. So I took all the fantasy games and I stacked them all up and I put all the sci-fi games and I stacked them all up. And then I took the kind of indie menagerie and I stacked that all up. And then I kind of took all the horror games and I stacked those together. And I looked at my, every time I look at that fantasy shelf, I go, do I really need first, second, third (laughs) (laughs) edition D&D on that shelf? It depends on what you have, right? So... I've got a nearly complete collection of AD&D, sha- uh, uh, AD&D Spelljammer stuff and AD&D Dark Sun Ooh, stuff. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I don't plan on ever running any of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But those systems were so influential on yeah. young Josh's role playing that when Josh got older, he wanted to have them. So yeah. they're on my shelf just so I can have them mm-hmm. for nostalgia. And I'm actually okay with that. It's all the other stuff, particularly the newer stuff that I, that I get. Corporea, you know, if I back Ravenous, that thing, you know. Well, this is what we're talking about. Hack the Planet, Dungeon World, Blades in the Dark, this stuff. I've got on my shelf and I'm not running it. I was really excited when I bought it to run it. Now I have it and it's failure to launch. And now I'm like, oh, man. What am I doing with my life? Yeah, yeah. Let me no. go play some fucking Destiny. I I hear you there. I think <laughs> I think it's probably easiest to see the bloat, especially in the fantasy, because it's like you end up buying all these fucking fantasy games, and each one has like a little bit of a different kind of nuanced take on what fantasy is. And it's very easy to have like thirty fantasy games sitting on your shelf, and then you're looking at it and you're like, yo, fantasy is one flavor. Right, and if I have the fancy flavor where I want to run it, I want to get all into that shit. What book am I really gonna go for? What book am I really gonna reach for? You know, yeah. there might be just one. There might be maybe two. You know, for me, boom, Stormbringer, 
Uh, and then Woofer. Does that mean that I don't have fucking Zweihander? I still have Zweihander. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but basically, all the rest of it isn't, could go. Isn't that really just Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay? Yeah, it really is. But yeah. you know, <laughs> but you know, it's God. That book's so good. <laughs> he needs a, he needs to make bulletproof armor out of his books. So he has to have all the thick books. He needs to be buried in something. Oh, I mean, some of us can't. I have all the hero system stuff. Like all of oh, it. I could oh, I could die Lord. if my bookshelf fell over. Just those books would kill me. <laughs> right. <laughs> but to your point, why not just have a bunch of new generic games then? Like, I've got Savage Worlds. I've got Hero System. I've got GURPS. Well, why do I have all that, all those generic systems? I don't know. <laughs> that's an, that, that's its own interesting question. I've actually kind of come around on Gerbs recently, hearing that those uh, Steven Erickson, um, is his name Steven Erickson? He wrote the Gardens of the Moon, the whole Malazan series of books, mm-hmm. that kind of over the top, like epic grimdark series series of fantasy novels. That those were all uh, like a Gerbs campaign that like ran for years and years and years. And I remember reading um, Gardens of the Moon and being like. Like, this is so fucking amazing. I want to run a D&D game that's just like this. But being like, there's nothing in D&D that functions like this. How would I ever do it? Like, mechanically, it wouldn't work. And then somebody told me it was GURPS. That they were running at GURPS. I was like, well, oh, fucking of course. The only the only system in the whole world that you can literally build anything yes. point by style is this. Like, there's a in, in book one, there's a fucking mage who in like the first 20 pages or something gets killed by a fireball, but he had built a fucking marionette so that his soul like goes into it. And then he's like runs around for the rest of the book in a little marionette body. And <laughs> You're just, you're just like, well, how the fuck do you make that in D and D? You know what I'm saying? But yeah. you could do that in GURPS, right? Am I right? That's yeah, why you sure. have GURPS. Sure, that's why I have Hero System too. <laughs> Isn't that all superheroes though? No, Hero System is any genre. Oh, I thought it was all superheroes. Yeah, all the, <laughs> Whoops. It, you know, the, the funny thing about it is that like the main, the main two books, the character creation book and the system book. Like character creation book is as thick as this void, Shadows of the Void book you have. It's, right? it's, it's a fucking black uh, void. Yeah. Black void. It's, yeah. it's a it's a phone book. And then the rule book is about uh, three quarters of the site. And that's all the rules and it's all the optional stuff. It's like if you had all the GURP stuff condensed into one book, but for here, you know, for your system, that's how it works. All of the genre books, like fantasy, sci fi, yeah. champions, whatever, they take all those rules and they just pre work the rules for you to give you packages that you can just throw out there and use immediately. So you want a wizard? We've taken the rules in Hero System and we've taken our generic rules, done the point by for you to create this grimoire of spells. Now you can make your wizard. Right, we've done the work for you. Oh my god! Right? <laughs> Are you serious? I own them. I don't know why. <laughs> right? um, especially now, like the the games that come out these days, they're like you say, they're they're games that seem to me to be more directed at one to three sessions. Right? I don't know that I could ever play a Dungeon World game for more than a couple of sessions. Like, I don't see the point for me. Point, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> hang on, hang on. Okay. You know what? You're right. That's not the point. I'm sorry. Okay. I do want to. I do want to hear about that from you someday. All right, all right. So I'm not trying to shit on the system that no. you're that you're using for your stuff right no, now. No, right? no. I mean, I think this isn't interesting. It's. Was it, I, are you talk, saying, I love to talk about games, and and that I think that's interesting. Are you saying specifically ahead. Dungeon World or the whole PBTA Apocalypse uh, World? Any of the Apocalypse okay, World stuff, gotcha. right? It's the same kind. Same they're kind not, of thing, but they're little, there's there's a difference. What I'm getting at though is that those games are designed from system up to emulate like a certain genre or a certain thing, right? The games tend to be hyper focused from the ground up on pushing a certain feel, whereas older traditional games I don't think are like all right. Let's 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 throw World of Darkness out there as a horror game, 
the system itself, in my opinion, doesn't push horror, right? It's such a point by system that you could use to do anything. It works good for telling <laughs> stories uh, because there's not a bunch of numbers on the, on the, there's dots instead of numbers and there's not a bunch of tables for you to roll on, but you could use that for anything. Um, yeah, I'd say as a horror game, uh, Old World of Darkness is actually like pretty shitty. Right. There's well, no, there's no horror actually baked into it. You have to. It all comes from the GM, and if there's right. no horror, it's because the GM's not pushing. But modern day horror games put systems in there to drive suspense, to drive horror. All you gotta look at is look at um, like Dread, for Dread, instance, right? A Dread, Richard's favorite game. <laughs> Someone writes in and says, "Hey, I'd like advice for my horror game," and Richard says, "Quit playing that. Play Dread." <laughs> What's exactly my point? Oh, oh, come on, man. We'll take it. We'll take it. Yes, yeah. I'm buzzing your job. <laughs> yeah, I, I was waiting for the point. Richard's like, Richard's like, Richard's like, your horror game sucks. Play Jenga. No, I, I, I was saying that you should be using it to build suspense. If this is a way to build suspense in Dread, maybe you can take some cues from that. That's what I was By saying. Maybe I, it, Like at a bar. Fuck you. <laughs> right. It builds drama. It's it's a good example though because Dread builds drama through the mechanic on the table, right? Yes, the even if it's artificial there. and doesn't have anything to do with like the narrative, it's pushing drama that's going to then inform the narrative. But that's just showing you what games that are being built today are about, rather than your D and D fifth edition type stuff that is just generic high adventure type stuff, right? Be a hero, kill a bunch of monsters, kind of shit, right? Uh, I just lost the thread of the point I was trying to make. My fault. I did that. Whether it's worth having these yes, single-use systems exactly. around? Like, you know what? If I were at the bar with Richard, I'd happily play Dread. I think that'd be a good time. I'd only ever want to do it the one time, though. It'd be a spur-of-the-moment kind of thing. Dread, Maybe I play it at a con. Dread is very much a one-shot game. It's, I mean, you can play a campaign, but it's very much a one-shot. But I could say the same of Dungeon World or something from Fate or Fiasco or... You know, whatever. I would say, like, the Apocalypse World stuff. I mean, I think Vincent Baker is right when he says it only gets good after you play it for six games, when the when the history stuff starts feeding back on itself. But most people run it more as a single shot. That's the con way of running it. Like, there's... there's. I guess, I, I guess like, without trying to, like, talk about the benefits and drawbacks of, you know, specific systems, I guess kind of what you're saying is is that by this point in our lives, we know what we like, we know what we don't. I'm not a story gamer. Do I'm we sorry. Need, do, we need to, do we need to own games that we aren't, that we don't have a personal affinity for, right? Right, yeah. I mean, I guess there's, like, a certain, and this is something we kind of were talking about at the beginning, which is that do we get a sense of identity from purchasing? Do we get a sense of identity from being like, oh, Welcome to my game library. Look at all of these books that, you know, guess what? I literally don't have all the time in my life to use. Like, like I will die before I run campaigns in all of these. But I own them, so that yeah. means I'm important. Take me seriously. Sure. I totally, I totally feel some kind of gamer cred when I look at my gaming shelf. Of course. But we don't, but, but we're also old enough that we sh- know that that doesn't actually mean anything, right? <laughs> that, that, like, that, like... Like, you see some guy driving down the street in, like, a gigantor truck, and maybe that person's making up for something. Yes. You know what I'm saying? I think I'm just coming to terms with this when it comes to my gaming stuff, though. I think that's the point that I'm making here. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, but are you ready to let it go? Are you ready to let it go? I don't know, man. Do you you feel confident enough in your... Because you're... I mean, you've gamed... All over America, cons. You've been sure. done the flagship for White Wolf. You've done a successful podcast. Mm-hmm. Do you need library? Who who even sees the library? Just who me even, who even and my wife. It? Her with a little derision, me with a little sadness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you can let it go, 
right? You can let it go. I'm so, letting mine yeah. go. So Maybe. This, do you think there's an analogy b- between the the music, like if we had a physical uh, album or CD and we had a music collection and we were still trying to keep up with the newest hits that were coming out um, instead of like, well, we know what we like. Here's the here's the the records we spin every day. So I'm just going to, I'm not even going to try to keep up with everything that's coming out new and I'm just going to go with what I like and... I think you're just describing the process of getting old, right? No, that's hard. Isn't that what kind of happens to us? You know. Well, I mean, these these new the new games are going to keep coming out, and there's as the as the new writers latch onto a a new idea. That's there's always going to be new books, but maybe we just say, hey, that's for the next generation. That's their thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna spin the the records I like. I'm gonna pull the book off the shelf that I like and welcome to my table. So, all right. I think that's a good idea. I think that's a great I think that I think that's a good way to approach it. The problem I have with it though is that when you look at the the gamer population, all right? I feel like just in like in life, it's the older gamers that have all the money, okay? And it's the older gamers that are going to supply the money to the new designers that are putting out stuff through Kickstarter, right? But I don't want all that shit on my shelf, man. I don't need more <laughs> sadness. Of, I don't need more things or telling me that I'm not going to run them. So uh, how, and, do I, the, how do you parse that? This is exactly kind of what my thought is, is I don't think we've hit the perfect game yet. The, I don't think it'll ever hit the perfect game, but I think we've definitely moved forward. Like the, the technology has moved forward. There's Yes, maybe you enjoy a previous technology, but... Funding that new technology is, I think, important for everybody to have to have newer experiences that that include everybody that have uh, the thought thoughtfulness and the uh, the world changes. I mean, you don't maybe you don't need it, but like the if we if the hobby stops, like it, or if we put a lot of money into the system. If we stop putting money into the system, it kind of starts to grind down. Even right. though, even though we're in the we're in the golden age, and the gold, all golden ages end at some point. I don't want to. I don't want this thing to go away. Even though you know Dungeons and Dragons is more popular than ever, but at a certain point, everybody's going to get bored with Dungeons and Dragons in one way or another, and then they're just going to go back to playing their video games or if they don't find something else is interesting to them. So like, it's not maybe our responsibility, but I still like to see that new technology to some extent that I was a technology person. Like I love to buy new computers, new video cards, all that stuff. But I kind of got bored with that because it really wasn't changing all that, all that much. It wasn't a new thing where in role playing games, every time I get one of these new games, even just the new powered by the apocalypse system, I find something amazing, like yeah. the the veil. The veil runs on emotions. It's not your deck strength con. It's like I'm angrily shooting you, so that's what it takes. I I'm more powerful when I'm angry. So fictionally, that feeds back into the system. So I I think there's technologies that have yet to be developed that can go forward. Now, do we need these on our shelves? Like, do we need the Betamax on our shelves? Not really. No, I don't think so. But what, do we need the latest iPhone on our shelves? No. Not really. If that if you don't enjoy those, then yeah, you don't need them. But if you want to, I I want to keep pushing technology forward, so I will keep supporting these people. And maybe it'll just be a dollar donation and me talking about it. But like, I'm still gonna do it. I I have definitely gotten to the point where I have like 400 digital PDFs in, <laughs> uh, in uh, drive through. I have like three or four shelves. I keep like 
readjusting and re. I, I was just looking at it today. I've got like stacks of books on front of, in front of the shelves again, and I'm like, oh shit, I got to go back through the <laughs> damn books again. Like, yeah. So there's there's always going to be a calling, but I think getting it down to to size where you're not feeling sad about it and planning to play every week to try and push those games, whether you just play the two games you always play will help you feel better about your collection. <laughs> I, I had a I had a friend who was a female and she had a collection of purses and uh, she collected comp- purses in the compulsive way that we collect games. And uh, I mean purses on some level are like role playing games in that how many do you really need and how many are you going to use in a year right and she had a rule for herself when she reached a, a critical level where she was like look I got more than I can use that um, first she pared down to a, a, a number that she was comfortable with and then when she bought a new one she had to get rid of an old one and so when she would be standing there in the store with a new purse in her hands feeling like I want to buy this thing She'd be like, well, I know that what that means is when I get home, I got to call something. One's got to go. Yeah, exactly. So how much do I really like this? And that's kind of where I'm at because I'm all, you know, I go to game stores all the time. And I love that feeling of buying a new game, the way that like the weight of the book in your hand is the weight of pure potential. The potential is the word I was thinking of too. You haven't fucked it up yet. There's no, <laughs> there's, it hasn't been sullied by rules, questions, and dumb characters and lackluster <laughs> sessions. It's just sitting in front of you just rolling out pure and there's nothing quite like that but is it worth throwing out something that's on your shelf when you get home to have that little endorphin spike while you're at the game store let me let me ask you mr Mm. carrion as as somebody who's in the uh, game design world now oh that's me man you you get done with the design or or, or to the point where you're gonna say i'm done fucking around with this yeah for now it's done sure okay i'm gonna put this out there I'm going to get it funded. All yeah, right. Yeah. Somebody comes to you and says, I want to throw you 40 bucks for this backer pledge. But I don't want your fucking book. I'm never going to play it. How does that make you? What is that? What is that? Are you happy about it or are you not happy about it? Um, wait, they say, ah, uh, you can have the $40. You're giving you $40. I want to support you, but I don't want to play your game. But I'm not. Well, obviously, I'd be disappointed. All obviously. Right. Because, I mean, uh, like, an idea, you're wanting to put the idea out into the world. You want people to interact with the idea. Um, just like a novel, you know. I don't think any novelist you have to you have to write for yourself first, obviously. Like sure. I have to create games yep. because I have to create games. That's who I am. But you always want someone to read it and to maybe experience the idea with you. And games are just another way of encapsulating ideas in the way that you know novels, television, movies, etc., music, or, or ideas captured you know in time. If somebody were to say to me like, "Here's forty bucks that buys me a, a ravenous limited edition hardcover." Uh, but I don't want the book. Don't send it to me. I'd say, cool, I'll uh, give it to somebody else. I'll give, right. I'll give it to some right. kid. I'll give it to some kid who doesn't, you know, I'll, I'll give it away on the show. Whatever, whatever. But, like, I mean, I've never been averse to giving away role-playing books for free. Like, you know, somebody, somebody, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm hustling a box of role-playing books down to uh, Bookman's and one of my friends goes, oh, hey, is that, uh, is that Demon Hunter Omega? Oh, I've always wanted to read through Demon Hunter Omega. I'll be like, I fucking take it, man. Go home and read fucking Demon Hunter Omega. I ain't doing shit with it. The value to me is zero. Right. I would yeah. rather you go home and, and play with it with your imagination than me go into Bookman's and get like two dollars trade credit for yeah. it. Like yeah. because who cares? You know what I'm saying? You know? That calls to mind some that calls to mind the uh, the game library 
I think that might be a, a good way to have some of these the books that we love but aren't giving us joy or maybe even giving us stress saying, hey, here's the game library. I'd like to see it on the, the uh, game some, a game library shelf that other people could pull off and, and uh, like a commu- the community could, could enjoy sure. it. And, and yeah, we are sort of building that into the Arizona Game Fair library. We're, we're starting to add an RPG section, but because books are so heavy, oh, yeah. it, it sort of has to be kind of cu- uh, more curated than the board games. Because I can have giant boxes of board games. I can easily, yeah. by OSHA standards, I can easily have you lift that. But if I have, if I sit, give you the same size box of RPG books, I have uh, egregiously uh, uh, violated my uh, contract with you. It's hard on the lower so, back. Yeah. So uh, there, there definitely was uh, quite a few Palladium books we had to. Uh, we're going to sell for a dollar next time we can. So. <laughs> I mean, I, Palladium I, books, you say, huh? Yeah. That's another nostalgic thing. Oh man. I I uh I like the idea of game libraries for role playing because I want people to interact with role playing. I just love role playing so much. Role playing's done so much for me. I want other people to experience as much as I have from role playing or more if they are able to. Um, but it's just such a different thing than a board game where somebody like you know you get the board game down and you open up the little rules sheet and you know, read through it real quick and then you start playing the game. It's like if you're a, if you're a game con and you rent a role playing game, like what are you gonna do? Take a fucking five hundred page book back to the table and start being like, okay, page one, what is a role playing game? Page two, what is character creation? You know, what I mean, oh, oh my god, you know. It says here one of us will need to be the game master. <laughs> one of us will be the chill master. Right. Yikes. Well, it's it's to have some util. There is some utility if you you know, or just even some curiosity, like flipping through it. Like, oh yeah, no, look, dude. If I was like somehow like independently wealthy, if I was some kind of like baron who could like sit on the hill and like twist my mustachios, <laughs> I would love to have a fucking role playing library. Brendan Carrion, the RPG baron. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> with the top hat and like, twist your mustache. Welcome, and... young squire. <laughs> baron Carrion, oh, little D twenty <laughs> buttons down your coat. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would. I'd love to have like a library where people could come and read them and maybe even participate in playing them, like and then put them back on the fucking shelf before you leave <laughs> because we all know how that goes and. Never come back. Because um, I want people to interact with them. I want people to interact with them in the world. But uh, uh, it, it does have its own difficulties when you're when you're trying to measure between, uh, balance between like material things and then linear time, which we are unfortunately evolved to be stuck within. Bummerville on that. I'm getting the feeling, Mr. Buzzkill, like it might be time to wrap this one up. What do you think, man? I, I think so. Uh, does anybody have any uh, last things they'd like to say for this? I do. Okay. Jenga. Jenga. <laughs> All right, that's it. I've Jenga, got, I've got Jenga some, fuck you. I've got Jenga. some books to sell if anybody's interested. All right, well, I'll be talking to you after. <laughs> so, uh, Michael, can you uh, can you read that? Uh, we are sponsored by Exalted Funeral. Check them out for RPG metal and esoterica needs. Um, and we'd also like to thank our patrons over at Patreon. Check, check that out if you'd like to join. Uh, it's patreon.com slash fullmetalrpg. For as little as one dollar a month, for you us. too could be involved in choosing collection cl- collections, <laughs> questions for our guests, and ask Jerry Cocaine his thoughts about role playing, which are no doubt many. And if you have some thoughts about our discussion here with Josh uh, about the uh, existential nature of our hobby, uh, please get at us at yes, our please. our email address, fullmetalrpgofficial at gmail.com, or uh, check out our Discord at tinyurl.com slash fullmetaldiscord, or Instagram and Facebook, fullmetalrpg. 
Yeah, see you there. See you there, slappies. All right. Hey, Josh, thanks for coming on, man. Really appreciate seeing you. Really miss uh, Podcast Reckoning. Uh, it's always a pleasure to have you on. It's always a pleasure to talk games with you. There are a uh, few people in this world who are more uh, open-minded and uh, knowledgeable. Thanks for being on. Thanks right. for having me. Have a good night. Good night. Yeah.